So today we are in part two of our run into Easter, and uh, we're calling today Eyes on the Cross. We did Tears in the Garden last week. We're doing Eyes on the Cross today. If you're exploring faith, I shared last week that it would be a brilliant picture for you last week to see what God's heart is towards us, His humanity. And if you're here and you're exploring faith today, this will be a brilliant picture of what actually was achieved on the cross. It might be something you see people wearing around. Maybe you even wear one. You're exploring faith and maybe you even wear a cross as a symbol. Maybe you see people tattooed on uh, it on them or on somebody's car or something like that. But it'll give you a real picture of what does the cross actually stand for. And for those of you who are Christ followers here today, it'll be a way to go deeper and a fresh look upon the cross of Christ. So when I was in form three, I think, maybe it was even younger, maybe it was form two, we went on this Chimani Mani trip. As St. John's, this was the thing that all the form twos and threes did. Went on, uh, are there any St. John's guys here who did the form three trip? Anyone? A few of you did it who are old enough when we still did those harsh things. Uh, anyway, so we went on this trip. Now, there was a physics teacher at our school uh, whose name was Simon Walsh, the doc. He was like head of first aid. He was, I tell you, he was like seven foot two. At least that's what we thought as like form ones and twos. He was massive. So like one of his steps was like four of ours. And so he, he, this was his baby. He just said, Chimani Manis, this is, well, is what it's all about. So we happened to be in his group. And uh, he decided that he was going to take us to this place called Dragon's Tooth. I think it's Dragon's Tooth. Dragons, I think it's Dragon's Tooth. Is that right? Any Chiwani Mani people? Am I saying the right thing? Dragon's Tooth. There we go. You see, Chiwani Mani locals. Exactly. Shame. Anyway, <laughs> I'm joking, Meg. So we went, on this, uh, we went on this hike, and he just made it sound like it was just a beautiful, easy hike out to Dragon's Tooth. He was like, you guys are the special ones. And uh, we had obviously ignored all his advice and carried tins of tuna, heavy things, cans of Coke, all the things that you take on a hiking trip. And we got first day, I forget where we stopped on our way there, full of blisters and uh, in aches and pain. And in the distance, we could see this little thing that he said was dragon's tooth. And we wanted to turn around, but he said it would be worth it. And uh, he then went on to tell us the story, which is irrelevant to our preach, but I'll tell you anyway. He said the way to solve blisters, he said, guys, this is not going to be painful at all. He says, we just take a little snip into your blister. And he's like, I carry a, a bottle of meths with me everywhere. And he says, just cut this. It won't be sore at all. Um, he's just going to pour this inside. And he said, I can tell you tomorrow there will be no pain. And so we were like being townies, as you are. We didn't know about things like that. So we're like, oh, this is brilliant. So we all cut it open. He says, now you must all do it at the same time. You know, he's like, this is a thing that you all do. We were like, yes, yes, Mr. Walsh, you're the medic. You know all about this. Well, that was an excruciating 30 seconds to a minute uh, that we felt on doing that. So if any of you have done it, it does solve the problem. But the pain, I don't know if it's worth it. Anyway, we went on this the next day. We got to the top and we climbed up. And it was honestly a beautiful sight. It was amazing. None of the other groups went there. We went there. Um, and, you know, there was obviously pain and trial as we got to that point. But it was an absolutely beautiful sight, something that we all remembered and we took photos of. Uh, it was worth it. And for us little city boys who had never worn hiking boots in our lives before, the pain and what we experienced there was most definitely a victory in and of itself. But I wonder when you last had, maybe in recent times, maybe back then, a mission that you had to complete. We were given that mission uh, from uh, the doc, from uh, Simon Walsh. And maybe some of you have had a mission like that in the past or a recent one. It could be a more serious one as well, but where the cost would be worth the outcome in the end. Maybe it's studying in order to apply for another job. Maybe it's going back to studying, doing an MBA. Maybe it's doing 
teaching online and you need to go that route. And that's meant late hours, hard to juggle the time, financial expense, but in the, lead, in the end, it's led to this amazing job, better time with your family, able to save, those sorts of things. It could be an event that you wanted to finish. The Sky Run, for some of you, silly enough to do that. Uh, one day I'll do that when you can do it on motorbikes. Um, the Comrades, Two Oceans, Vickers Stander. On our second Sunday that we opened at Hope Church, Vickers and Tanya were here. They planted a church in Canada, coming again, uh, doing a second Comrades, and then coming again in June. So I can't wait to have them with us. Uh, but, you know, people might set themselves to do the Comrades, and I haven't felt the need to stretch myself to that extent because I feel that Dragon's Tooth was enough, and I feel I've achieved enough physical stuff back when I was a teenager. But for those who didn't uh, or want to do more, there's a race day that you aim at. And for those of you who've done Two Oceans, how many have done Comrades here? I'd love to see a show of hands. Anybody in the house who's done a Comrades? You see, that proves my point, right? Anybody's done a Two Oceans? A few Two Oceans runners, well done. And some Sky Runners? A few, Dave, well done, you made it. And a few others here. Okay, so we have a few crazy people. Uh, it's good to have you amongst us. But you set your eyes on this. And you train towards it and you get the right gear and you, you do all that you can to get to that place where you can celebrate victory of achieving something that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Maybe more seriously, somebody needing to have surgery and there's this emotional toll in getting up to the point of having surgery and after having surgery, there's a huge amount of, uh, of, of being able to operate normally again going through maybe some painful rehab but getting to a point where you have a freedom that you didn't have before the surgery. And then there's also daily moments of getting through the day if you're a mum who has toddlers. You know, just getting to nighttime is a victory in and of itself. Friends of mine who do long distance trips between uh, Zimbabwe and America, half their family lives there. They say that when you get off the airplane, they've got four kids under the age of six when they're traveling. They said when you get to the end of that trip, it's like you've won a war. You feel like you're warriors who have got through a war. And so there's these daily victories that we, we, it's a difficult day, but we get to the end of it and there's victory on the other side. Now, some of those are, are serious, some of those are fun. But what we're gonna look at today is Jesus who set his eyes on a task at hand, a mission. We can have small missions, we can have big missions in our daily lives. Jesus uh, had the ultimate mission that his eyes were set on. And there's no one that, and there never will be anyone in history who's had the same focus, the same dedication to a task and to a mission who's experienced a mission that difficult, seen it through to the end and experienced victory. And so whatever journey you're on, whatever um, your mission looks like at the moment in life, as you look, we look at this today, you'll be able to see actually there's one who's gone before, who's done far more than we could ever do and we can rely on him in the difficulties that we face. There'll never be anyone where a decision would involve such trial. He was unwavering in his mission. He would not back down. His eyes were on the cross which we're looking at today. And so that's what we're going to explore. And as we look at it, I want you to think, what is his character like? What can we learn from the journey that he went on? Uh, what did he face? What were the trials that he faced? What did he ultimately achieve for each of us on that journey? And we're going to be able to see at the end his heart more clearly. We're going to be able to see who Jesus is more clearly. We're going to be able to see uh, our need of him more vividly. And we're going to be able to see how we can live our lives more effectively as a result. So few quick points, and then we're going to take communion together as well. Firstly, on his mission, the most incredible thing for us to get is that God is in control. He is in absolute control. I want to look at what Jesus said about his death. If we backtrack to Luke 9, 
and he was talking a number of days, we don't know, days or weeks before his death. Look what he said to his closest friends. He says, he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one. He's about to share something to his inner circle. He says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes. He will be killed and on the third day, he will be raised. He says later on, Luke 9 verse 51, at the end of, uh, he's been speaking to them. This says this interesting phrase, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, for him to be killed, he set his face towards Jerusalem. He had his eyes on the cross. So we see from Jesus' words that his death was no accident. Sometimes we can have a tendency to go, that was terrible what happened to Jesus. How could that happen? Yes, it was terrible, but it was planned. There was no accident in Jesus' death. He planned it from the start. It was something he knew was going to happen, but he didn't only know about it. He planned it entirely. Look at what some of his followers said about it in Acts. Uh, Peter, who we, we might look at in, in days ahead. Uh, poor Peter, who was easily spoke and very quickly didn't live out what he said. And he, he denied Jesus, but Jesus used them to build this church. Look what he says when the Holy Spirit filled him the day of Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 22. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. You killed, at, um, by, he was killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then just a short while later, the early church are praying. Peter's already been locked up. Then they've been released. The early church is, uh, is growing. They're facing persecution. They're praying. Look what they says, uh, say in Acts 4 verse 27. For truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you see what they all understood by this? Jesus knew this, Peter knew this, the early church knew this. That people killed Jesus. Herod was involved, Pilate was involved, Jewish leaders were involved, other people, Roman, uh, Roman soldiers were involved in the process. But actually overarching their decisions was his ultimate plan. You see, his ultimate plan will always trump our decisions. People actively wanted to kill Jesus, but his eyes were set on Jerusalem from way before they ever made the decisions that they did. His eyes were set. He was coming. His mission would be completed. People wanted to see him dead, but that was long after he said to his disciples that he would suffer and he would be killed. His mission didn't catch him by surprise. It was perfectly planned in order to save us from our sin. I believe we can also see God's perfect planning in history and actually love exploring this. So just think about it. Jesus came at a time when people could easily take notes of what happened. There was parchments, there was papyrus, there was uh, ability to write with ink and those sorts of things. So it was a time in history when that could happen, when it could get passed down, when events could be restored, re, uh, could be ordered, but not so advanced that Jesus would be bombarded with paparazzi and social media and, and internet generation. So there was enough that people still had to live by faith, um, enough evidence for us to live by faith, but not so much so that actually Jesus wouldn't be able to do what he wanted to on earth because of what was, what was created. And so God planned this perfectly in history. Um, and, and I just love exploring that. And so this should give us great comfort in our lives. He loves you and I deeply. 
but he's in control. There is nothing in your life that the Lord ultimately doesn't have control over. Do we have choice? Of course we do. Scripture says we do. Herod had choice. The Jewish leaders had choice. Pontius Pilate had choice. But God works in and through those choices. He works for your good and mine. He works the good for our good. He works the bad for our good. He has the power to act on our behalf because he's in control. Do we always understand the side of eternity, why he acts in certain ways and he doesn't act in other ways? Why he says yes in certain circumstances and no in others? No, we don't. Otherwise, he would, uh, wouldn't be God and we would. But imagine praying to a God who wasn't in control. There'd be no point because he wouldn't be able to act on our behalf. Imagine trusting in a God who couldn't actually save us on the cross, who wasn't actually in control of that plan. If he was like, guys, I'm, I'm going to try save you. I'm going to try my best. I just don't know the outcome. That wouldn't be a great God to follow, but he knew and he planned it. He's control of all, and that means that his mission would be completed. It means that you and I would have an opportunity to be saved. That's the most comforting place to live. It's the safest place to put your life in, is in the hands of a God who, number one, loves you, but number one, is in control and actually has power to act on your behalf and mine. So that's the first one. Jesus' eyes on the cross. First thing for you and I to remember, whether Christ follows or not, he's in control. Second one, he loves radically. He loves radically. If we track Jesus' life, we see again and again his deep desire to love, to show mercy, to show compassion, to comfort, to save. We see Jesus reaching out to restore and heal. The people that society rejected, he was drawn to. In our Hope Leadership Academy, we're reading a beautiful book at the moment called Jesus the Gentle and Lowly. And it says that in the most amazing of ways, Jesus' heart is actually drawn to those who need him the most. That's actually who he's drawn to the most. The compassion when it oozes out of him is to those who believe there is no ways that he would ever love them. He's drawn more to them than to others. That's the extent of his heart. This prophecy that he read out that he said was fulfilled in himself comes out of Isaiah, but he reads it out in Luke 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty or freedom to those held captive, to recover sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the way that he lived. This is the way that he loved. It culminated in the cross of Christ. But he demonstrated it on earth while he was here. No one had sinned too much to be beyond the reach of his love. No one was too unworthy of his love. No one was too poor, too broken, too addicted, too involved in sin, too demon-possessed. His love always reached further. But all those actions during his life were just a small taste of the ultimate display of love on the cross. That would be the greatest display of the extent he would go to for each of us, where he would shout, I love you. That's what he was doing as he was on the cross. John 19, verse 25 to 27. But standing by the cross of Jesus was his mother. His mother looked on every beating that he faced, every nail through his body, his mom. His mom witnessed it, and, he, and she would have known more than anyone else who he was the mission that he was called to, but she stood and waited. In fact, when disciples fled, his mom stayed. His mom watched the love of a mom for her children. So she was there, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, prostitute turned Christ follower. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to his mom, woman, behold, this is your son. 
mom, take on John. You've loved me, but actually look after John. Now he's going to need you when he lives all out for me. And then he says to his disciple, John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. John, you're one of my closest friends. My mom's going to need support. She's losing a son. Look after her, love her as your own. Isn't that amazing? On the cross, probably hardly able to breathe. And he's still loving others. He's still thinking about others. He's still reaching out to others. Is John going to be okay? Is my mom going to be okay? The height of agony. Astounding love we see from Jesus. Friends, if you're questioning whether Jesus loves you today, maybe through what you're facing right now, if you're questioning, if you're wondering whether you're good enough for him, if you're wondering whether the the sin you're involved in now or what you've done is, is just too great for him to love you through, just look to the cross and as you look to that you'll see his heart of love for you nobody's too far and so if you're here today and you're feeling that you're not too far come to him because he's reaching out to you with compassion so we see his heart as love heart of love what else do we see we see his heart to save his heart to save jesus would not let anything get in the way of saving you and me from our sin we need to remember that's why he ultimately came god loved us but the only reason he had to come And the only reason he had to die is precisely because of our mess. That's what brought him to pay the price. It was the mess in our hearts. It isn't just, oh, Jesus loved me so much, he he died for me. He did love me so much, he died for me, but he didn't want to die. It wasn't like a great choice of, I'm just so excited to come to the cross. No, it was a decision he made to pay the price for our sin, to have relationship with us restored. It's your sin and mine that was so horrific in God's sight, so terrible in the presence of a holy God, that the only way we could have relationship was by payment on the cross. So anyway, you and I could have a friendship with the great king. It was someone without sin who needed to take on our sin. It was God making us clean. So make no mistake, this mission of Jesus was to save us from our sin. Jesus' death on the cross is the essential means the only means for you and I to be saved from our sin. Not by being a good person so that the big guy in the sky will one day accept us. Not by following rules and regulations will never be good enough. It is the price paid on the cross. That and only that. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus. It's God paying the price we could never pay on our own. And so Jesus did everything possible to demonstrate his heart to save you and me from our sin unexplainable physical and emotional torture and pain. Won't dive into the greatest details, but to be mocked, slapped, spit on, beaten with rods, his beard ripped off. It speaks about that as well. Common practice for those being crucified. Your beard ripped out by hand. A crown of crude thorn pressed into the skull, lashed with leather cords filled with bits of nail and bits of bone, bits of metal lead balls to create the greatest pain so that every whip when the, back hap- when the backlash happened, it would pull out chunks of flesh and muscle, sometimes the back of the ribcage. The Romans perfected the art of torture. It's what Jesus went through for you and for me, carrying a rough, heavy wooden cross, nailed through some of the most sensitive parts of our bodies, step by step facing suffocation as he pushed himself up on the nail, struggling to breathe. That's the cost of your sin and mine. That's the cost. We get the free gift of God's goodness to us, but it cost him everything. That's the extent he would go to save you and me. 
And even in the very moments of, of being close to death, his heart to save was so evident. Look at this. Jesus said, Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That he would say that after what he had experienced, looking down on Romans, gambling over who would get his garments, who would get his clothes, and he's looking down, he's like, Jesus, save them. Save those religious leaders mocking me. Oh, he saved others. Can't he save himself? Father, forgive them. That's his heart to save. Astounding. Luke 23, 42 to 43, he said, this was uh, up on the cross, two thieves crucified either side of him, and one reaches out and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He turns and he says, truly I say to you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. A thief who's done nothing right his whole life, probably. He's there for just reasons. And in the last, his dying moments, he turns to Jesus. He says, Jesus, will you remember me? There's no reason why you have to, but will you remember me? And he says, today, heaven's home for you. That's his heart to save. It's hard to save you and I. If you're here exploring faith, that's his heart for you this morning. The empty chairs that we have for people who are going to keep to exploring faith at Hope Church in the months ahead, that's his heart to save. Family, friends, work colleagues who don't yet have a faith, that's his heart to save. We have to share that with friends and family. To his final moments, he wanted to see people come to faith. And possibly the greatest turmoil that he faced was the momentary severing of his relationship with his eternal father. Matthew 27, 45 to 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth, ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he cried out in his last moments, it was the fact that his heavenly father had turned his back because he couldn't look on the sin placed on his son. Can you imagine eternity past having a relationship so intimate none of us can understand with the, the father, the Godhead, the Trinity. And in a moment, the father's back is turned on the son as the weight of God's wrath pours out against sin on the son. For the first and only time, the son experienced separation from the father. God the father turned his back on his son in his time of greatest need. And he had to for you and for me. The greatest weight that he had to carry on the cross. And the darkness, a visual reminder to everyone that there was something earth-altering happening. Something completely out of the ordinary was in motion. Friends, I want us to never underestimate the cost of your sin and mine. I know sometimes I can do that. We can easily forget just what it cost Christ. As I said earlier, we can wear a cross around our necks. We can have it tattooed on us. We can come to church. We can, we can, we can live life every day and be like, oh yeah, Jesus loves me. But we can kind of keep living and not letting Jesus come into certain dark areas of our hearts. We can keep living out areas that are just not pleasing to Jesus. We need to understand afresh the weight of our sin and what it actually cost him. Will we ever be perfect? No, not at all. But should our hearts desire to be to honor Jesus and live in a way that pleases him? Yes. So if there's an area of your life that you know isn't honoring Jesus today, come to him. He loves you. He paid the price for you. Come to him and say, would you help me, Jesus? Would you help me with this mess? We can't do it on our own, but, but, but I'm broken because you are broken for me. And would, would you help me? Would you help me defeat this? We need to talk to a friend, talk to a friend, but, but, but it cost him everything. It cost him everything. Maybe it's party lifestyle. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. 
Maybe it's living together outside of marriage. Bring it to the foot of the cross today. He longs to forgive. He longs to restore. But we do need to choose him. Then finally, as we close, the mission was completed. John 19 verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. Luke 23, 45, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. That word, it is finished, tetelestai. It was stamped on a bill when the goods were paid in full. Invoice was given when the, the money was paid, it was stamped, and the words were tetelestai, paid in full. Jesus was saying his mission on earth was complete. Payment for sin had been made. He had done what the Father had asked him to do. And that curtain that was torn from top to the bottom, not by man, by God, that temple curtain was so thick, no one would ever be able to tear it by hand. But torn from top to bottom, ripped by God. I wonder what God felt as he ripped that curtain in two. I wonder what emotions were going through the king of the universe as he tore it. His wrath against sin, his heartbreak for his son, the joy of restored life, finally the power of sin being broken. I wonder what he felt, the emotions that went through God as he ripped that. This curtain stood in the temple between the main area and the holy of holies that no one could ever enter and live. The high priest was able to go in there for moments during the year if, if he made sure he was perfect. And he had these ropes tied around his ankle so that if he wasn't right with God and he, he died in the presence of a holy God, they could drag him out from under the curtain. No, he went in there because that's the holiness of God. But God ripping it open was, sh was showing, do you know what? Because of what my son has done, the doorway's open to a relationship with me. Anybody can enter, anytime, no matter what they've done, no matter how much mess they've had, it's open. The door is open because of what my son has done. Jesus gave up a spirit. His love was on display. It was, it was the God reaching down, not us reaching up. His mission was completed.